Well, this week, we have an assigned topic. And the topic is finding our place in the mission of God. Finding our place, finding your place in the mission of God. What a wonderful topic. And this very morning, you you have in your handout material, you have this little card called a response card. And one thing I love about missions conferences is that we have more opportunity than usual to make a tangible response to all that we've been hearing on that weekend. And this is one of those days, and you'll find that you can respond with a a pursuit of missionary service, foreign missionary service, local missionary service. You see that there's a place here for you to analyze your own financial life and how you're engaging financially with the mission, the external mission of Christ. You can look at how you can volunteer locally or how you can be more intentional in evangelizing your neighbors, your friends, your workmates. Uh, How I pray that some of you, even as a result of this weekend, will take more seriously the strategies and the prayer and the ministry to those who are of your acquaintance here in Jacksonville and to commit yourself to prayer. As Naphtali said, the most important thing, and missionaries know this, and it's not just spiritual talk, it's real. Most important thing is prayer, and therefore, these missionaries are begging you to commit yourself in a new way to prayer. We've mentioned several ways this weekend in which we can do that. But in just a few moments, we're all going to be asked to make that response, and I encourage you uh, to be thinking, even as we look at the Word of God, about your response. Now, Friday night, we looked especially at the opportunities to serve where we live, that God has taken us where we are. He has put us here regardless of the human mechanism that brought us here. It's God who's brought us here, and he's brought us here uh, for a purpose. He's giving us a task to do, and he'll bring us home later, and he promises to do that. He will bring you home, and it'll be beyond your wildest dreams what he's prepared for you. But for now, he's put you here to be in ministry here. We saw that Friday night. Yesterday, we looked a little bit at the state of the world beyond the shores of the United States of America. We saw that it's a very poor world, and I must say it's a very lost world. And in the places of the greatest poverty, you'll also find the places of the greatest spiritual need. And I think Naphtali's testimony is illustrative of that. A tribe that was in tremendous material need, but the deepest need was spiritual. And when the spiritual need is being addressed, well, just look at them now. They're being educated. They're going to college. There's going to be an updraft in that entire tribe because the gospel came there. And you should expect that. So a very poor world and a a very lost world. And we're called to the world. The Lord Jesus said to these very parochial fishermen, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples. What an amazing challenge to men who had barely been across the lines and boundaries of their own villages. So we've seen that we're called to the world. Now this morning we want to look at a text that helps us calibrate our lives by looking how we fit in with God. What's our relationship to God like? Have we really heard his voice in our calling to the mission? You know, when you look at the mission of the world and you look at a story like the one we just heard from Naphtali, you see that God's at work around the world. And sometimes it seems so fantastic, we're not quite sure we can believe it because of our own context. You mean people are really coming to Christ? You mean lives are really being changed? A whole city, a whole village is being changed? 
Yes, indeed. You know, for those of you who've studied missiology, you know that around the turn of the 20th century in 1900, only about 10% of Africa professed faith in Jesus Christ. And you come to the beginning of the 21st century and lo and behold, it's about 50% of, of the continent of Africa that professes faith in Jesus Christ. You know the story of China and how we labored through the 20th century so hard and saw so few believers. And then we were kicked out. The Western missionaries were kicked out during the cultural revolution in China. And lo and behold, when we go back 20 years later and find out what's been going on, there's been a total explosion of the church of Jesus Christ so that now there are more believers in China than there are in America. It's an amazing thing what happened in the 20th century. Those of you who know the story in South Korea know that 150 years ago, you could hardly meet a Christian anywhere in South Korea. And now they have 21,000 missionaries in 175 countries, South Korea alone. You can take the nation of Iran and before the Ayatollah Khomeini back in the uh, late 70s and early 80s came to power there, there were just a handful, just a few thousand believers, maybe a few hundred believers in the whole nation of Iran. And now the conservative reports tell us there are over one million believers in the nation of Iran. They're one of the fastest growing churches in all the world. It's absolutely amazing. And then we look at ourselves. And it's difficult sometimes for us to believe these stories because here we don't see that happening sometimes, do we? And when we think about our own lives as Christians, you know, the statistics say that, that less than 10% of evangelical Christians last year invited anybody to church with them during the entire year. That's evangelical Christians who believe that everyone goes to heaven and hell and the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ and the only way to have Jesus Christ is to hear and believe the gospel. Less than 10% invited anybody to church last year. Less than 2% of Christians in North America shared the gospel with anybody last year. And so we look at our own circumstances and we say, you know, we need to recapture something. And our brothers and sisters who are new believers around the world are teaching us something, but most importantly, the Bible teaches us. And we need to look for just a moment at the life of the Apostle Paul and his testimony and realize that the Apostle Paul was calling Christians then, just like we are called now, to imitate him. About seven times in his epistles, you have him saying to his hearers, I want you to imitate me. Do as I do, watch my life, copy me. And of course, Jesus said the same thing, to come and follow him, to be his disciple. And then Paul, a Christian and a leader, says, you imitate me. And elders in the church should be saying to the rest of the church, you folks imitate us. That's what it means to be a leader, is to be willing to have your life set forward as an example that others should be imitating. And he says that at least twice in Philippians here, in this letter, to imitate him. So let's imitate him. Let's look at his life. And what we're gonna see is a key phrase here in the Apostle Paul's life. If you wanna boil down his life and say, what was it about? Obviously, ultimately, it was about glorifying God, but it was about glorifying God through advancing the gospel. And advancing the gospel was more important to him than anything else on this planet. 
He wanted to glorify God through advancing the gospel. So let's look together at a moment, for a moment, at this text. Look at the apostle's life and take some lessons for ourselves. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. It regulates our thinking, our feeling, our speech, our doing, and we pray, God, rule over our hearts tonight, today, this morning, that we may faithfully walk with you and imitate you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter one. Paul is writing to a group who also was a little shy. They were very sweet. They may have been his favorite church. They were a missionary sending church. Paul was their missionary. Paul is in prison in Rome. The missionary sending church, I think they called it Christ Presbyterian. I'm not real sure, but the missionary sending church in Philippi really had a broken heart. They sent one of their own, Epaphroditus, to walk 600 miles to take their missionary supplies while he was in prison. They really loved their missionary. Paul knew it. They were a missionary sending church. They were a generous church. Paul uses them as an example when he's talking to the Achaeans, to the Corinthians. He says, why don't y'all be like the Philippians? He loved the Philippians, but they were a little shy. They were a little timid. They got afraid. And Paul now is writing them with several concerns. One is to thank them for their gifts and to tell them Epaphroditus was okay and he was gonna send them back. The second reason is to say to them, look, I've been to Philippi, I've been imprisoned, I've been beaten, I understand there are dangers there, but you all are gonna to have to stand together and contend for the gospel as one person without being afraid. And that's very, very important. So with, sometimes with missionaries sending churches, they sometimes are a little shy in their own neighborhoods and not very good missionaries themselves. And Paul's writing to them primarily to say, this is my concern for you, that you need to step it up. You need to be better missionaries yourself. So let's listen to what he says to them in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all 
for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here that I still have. All flesh is grass and all its glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. The apostle Paul is saying the most important thing is the advancement of the gospel. You may remember the name Peter Drucker, who is, of course, the management guru of the 20th century. I don't know how many books he wrote, but it was a lot. And I can remember in one occasion, a very special occasion in my life, I was in a small group of men and women who had two hours with Peter Drucker. And he just sat in a little stool and it was just stream of consciousness. It was one of the most amazing encounters of my life. And here's one thing that he said that I'll never forget. He said every individual and every institution needs to ask himself, herself, or itself two questions. Question number one, what's business? Question number two, how's business? And it seems to me that we as Christians ought to be asking ourselves quite regularly, what's business? How's business? And the Apostle Paul is saying the advancement of the gospel is his business. And that's your business too. And so the first thing I want you to notice is in verses 12 through 19, Paul is saying this about the advancement of the gospel. It's more, more important than his comfort. The advancement of the gospel is more important than our comfort. That's what the apostle is saying. You have to remember the apostle Paul is on house arrest, which means there is a soldier who is chained to him, feet and hands on four hour rotations. That's his life. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty miserable. And all kinds of thoughts will go through my mind. You mean I've been ministering to the world now for over 20 years and I planted churches all over Asia and Europe and God, this is what you do with me now. You wanna punish me like this, have me in prison. And furthermore, Lord, I seem to have a few years left. Why do you have me here? Those would be some of the questions Wilson would be asking. But look how the apostle Paul is responding. He is seeing, first of all, the providence of God in his life. He believes that God orders everything in his life. In fact, he says to the Romans that God works everything together for the good for those who love God and are calling according to his purpose. He is providentially in charge of our lives and he's advancing the gospel. We just need to slow down and contemplate. That's exactly what he does. And you'll notice in verses 12 and 13, he says, first of all, notice that through my sufferings, the lost are being saved. And that's the most important thing to me, the advancement of the gospel. So here's how Paul looked at his imprisonment. They think that they have me captive. Oh no. Au contraire, hop along. I've got them captive. 
These people are being chained to me, hand and foot. That's my congregation. They can't get away. They can't go to the restroom. They can't go get a drink of water. They gotta listen to the preacher for four hours. Guess what I'm gonna talk about? And he says to them, don't worry about me. I've got new unbelievers I get an opportunity to witness to. And the whole Praetorian Guard now knows because they're all cycling through. Hey, did you have four hours with that guy, Paul? Yeah, I had my four hours. What did you think about it? Well, you know, I gave my life to Christ. Well, I didn't, but I'm thinking about it. It was talked about everywhere. <laughs> the Apostle Paul had one thing on his mind. And it wasn't what kind of bank account he had or what kind of 401k he had or about how many children he had or whether he was married or single. He had one concern. It was advancing the gospel and that determined everything the way he saw life. And as long as he had unbelievers around him, he had a happy mission. And as long as he could pray, he had a happy mission. And as long as he could write, he had a happy mission. And you and I can look back and say, I sure am glad the Apostle Paul got imprisoned because that's how we got a good bit of the Pauline corpus we have in the New Testament. So trust the providence of God and be looking for the advancement of the gospel. And then you'll notice uh, not only that the lost are being saved, but look in verse 14 and you'll see that believers themselves are emboldened. You know, when you suffer and when you, when you take on hostility, when someone accuses you of being a narrow-minded fundamentalist because you're sharing the gospel and you're fearless and you, you are gracious and you continue to respond and then you realize, you know what? I think I'm fine after all that. The other believers look on too and they're emboldened now to share the gospel. And Paul notices this about himself. He got imprisoned, he's being abused and he's sharing the gospel. So what are these other believers doing? They're saying, well, gosh, I guess if he's in chains and he's sharing the gospel, I guess maybe I should share the gospel. So Paul says, that's important to me. It's more important than whether I'm in chains or not. The believers are emboldened. Then look at this. This is truly amazing. If you'll look at verses 15 through 18, you'll see that Paul makes reference to some very small-minded pastors who were jealous and, you know, we pastors, we deal with that today, you know, turf guarding and whose church is growing faster than my church and all this kind of stuff. Well, they had it in the first century. It's nothing new. And these guys wouldn't preach on the street until Paul got in prison. And now they preach on the street so that he'll get into more trouble. That's outrageous. Think of the profound sense of betrayal and hurt that the apostle Paul would have had with that. They wouldn't preach on a minor prison. And now that the Romans want to shut me up, they're going to preach more so that they'll keep me in here longer. And what does he say? He doesn't say, I'm hurt. He says, I rejoice. Look at these small-minded, petty preachers. They're preaching. They're preaching Jesus. Now, you have to compare this to Galatians 1. If they weren't preaching Jesus, he would say, may they all become a bunch of eunuchs. I mean, that's, you know, I'm using as nice language as I can here. But Galatians 1, he's very strong about people who preach heresy. He won't put up with that at all. But if they preach Jesus, he delights himself in the fact that Jesus is being proclaimed. Do you know why? Because the advancement of the gospel was more important to him than his own comfort, his own reputation, and his own pride. 
And that's what we're called to. Now keep looking because in verse 19, you'll see that Paul says, these sufferings that come to me by virtue of the gospel are actually good for me. He's being saved. He says, I know that I will be delivered. The word there is saved. Through what? Through his sufferings for the gospel. You thought your sufferings were taking you down. No, your sufferings are taking you up. You know how the apostle Paul says uh, this? He says our, in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, our light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us. They're accomplishing something. They're producing something. Our light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So yes, sufferings are unpleasant temporally, but we believe in the gospel. We believe in the love of Christ. We believe that he's called us to something that's so important that we are growing and being saved and sanctified through even our sufferings for the gospel. The Apostle Paul was able to see things entirely differently from those who have their pity parties because the advancement of the gospel was more important to him than his comfort. Now look at verse 20 and you get another key. Not only was the advancement of the gospel more important to him than his comfort, but it was more important to him than his life. He says, I want to exalt Christ in my body, in verse 20, whether by life or by death. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you cannot really faithfully and effectively and fruitfully communicate the gospel of Christ unless you've already decided that the communication of the gospel and the witnessing to other people is more important than your life. The number one reason why people at Second Presbyterian Memphis don't share the gospel, they've told me because I've polled them, the number one reason is fear of rejection is probably true with you. Professional people work with their reputations. Their reputations are more important than money. Reputation is currency. That's how we get our job done. It's through our name and our reputation. The more you're into the professional community, the more that's true, and then therefore, the more likely it's also true that the number one reason you do not effectively share the gospel or invite people to church or to undergo the possibility of being rejected because you don't want to be rejected, it'll ruin your life. And the Apostle Paul said, the gospel is more important to me than my life. And if you look in Acts 20, 24, he says, I consider my life worth nothing to me if I can simply complete the task that God has given me of testifying to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says to you, imitate me. Be done with your dreams of the big house and the yacht and the four cars and the children, you know, with a fully paid college education. All these things you've got in your mind. Be done with it. If you're going to follow Christ and be engaged in his mission, the mission and the advancement of the gospel is more important than your whole life. And that's the reason that we give generously. There's churches like you and like ours who do give generously. Most of the churches in North America don't give to external mission at all, most of them. But you give generously. Why? Because the advancement of the gospel is more important than your whole life. Of course you give generously. Now, in case you're worried about me, I'm going to encourage you to give up all your money, which is what I'm basically encouraging you to do. Just remember, I'm a Scotsman. That's my heritage, and we Scots people, 
we hold our wallets tight. So I speak, if you, if you have a Scottish background, I speak to people and I understand you. You know, there's a story about three men in London who were at tea and they were given a bowl of soup and in every bowl of soup, there was a dead fly or a fly. The Englishman solved it easily. There were three people, an Englishman, a Scotsman, and someone from Florida. The, <laughs> the Englishman solved it easily. He just sent the whole bowl back and asked for a new bowl, a new setting. The Floridian had no problem at all. He just flipped the fly out of the soup and ate soup. The Scotsman took the fly by the wings and said, spit it out. So I understand what it's like to hold on to your money. I, I, it runs in my veins. But Americans are, are trying to get all they can and can all they get and sit on the can. And we just take pride in how big our can is, if you know what I mean. And the Apostle Paul is saying your, your job is to divest yourself for the advancement of the gospel. Some of you older folks, do you have a will? Do you have an estate plan? Do you realize you're going to be making your biggest gift at your death, even if you're just middle income, ordinary American? You'll be making your biggest gift at your death. Have you prepared that gift? I've prepared mine. I know where it's going. I'm going to do something for my children, but I'm going to do something for the mission. And my children are going to see it in my will. Right now, are you giving generously? We said yesterday that if you make $50,000, you're in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. If you make $50,000 or less, you should be tithing to the church and giving 5% to missions, says Michael O., the CEO of Lausanne Evangel Evangelical Movement. He says if you make $50,000 to $150,000, you should be tithing to the church and tithing to global missions. If you make $150,000 to $500,000, you should be tithing to the church and giving 20% to global missions. If you make a half a million a year or more, you should be giving a tithe to the church and giving four tithes, 40%, to global missions. Don't worry, if you make a half a million and you do that, you still have 250 left. Do you realize we need to think much more radically about how we're hanging on to the idol? of money and things and possessions. Paul says, whether by life or death, I have one objective, and that is to exalt God in my body through the advancement of the gospel. And he says, imitate me. Now, thirdly, this is most interesting. In verses 21 through 26, he says, not only is the advancement of the gospel more important than his comfort, and then more important than his life, he says it's more important than his death. Now, hang with me for just a minute. The reason he says this is, if you'll look at verses 21 following, you'll see that he says, I'm struggling between whether I want to stay here with you guys or whether I want to go on and be with the Lord. And he says, it's a struggle. He says, frankly, for myself, I'd prefer to depart and be with Christ. So when he died, he immediately went into the presence of the Lord and he Look forward to that. Now we're gonna, our bodies will be resurrected later at the return of Jesus. But at our death, we spiritually go immediately into his presence. And Paul says, I long for that day. And he says, for me to live is Christ, but to, to die is gain. I have Christ now, but I get more of Christ, unimpeded, without sin. 
And without a broken world, I'm in his presence. And that's, and he uses a, he uses an inappropriate phrase here grammatically. He, he says, my son used to say this when he was five. He said, daddy, that's more better. I said, no, David, you don't say more better. You just say better. But it's more better. And that's what the apostle Paul says. He says, heaven is more better. It's far better. He uses two comparatives there and lines them up. He says, it's beyond our dreams. If you want to stay here for any reason other than ministry, you have not imagined what heaven is like. The mature understand it and want to go on. But Paul says, the advancement of the gospel is so important. It's more important than my going on. And I have to say, I even with 10 grandchildren, and I, I just enjoy them immensely. It's not to be compared to the joy that's waiting for me when I go into the presence of Christ. And the only reason I want to stay here with you is, as Paul says here, that I might be of some use to you. And that's the only reason you have to stay here. Now, if you have young children, you want to stay, not so that you can enjoy the weddings and the grandchildren and all that. No, you're staying to serve them. So you get your mind straight. If you desire any, do you, if you desire to be here for any reason other than ministry, you have committed idolatry. You've made something in this life more important than the very presence of Jesus Christ. So expunge those things from your heart and mind and from your imagination. Repent, renounce them, and look for Christ. But you're here to serve. That's the reason you want to stay. That's what Paul says. That the advancement of the gospel is so important, I am going to willingly delay my departure to be with Jesus Christ. That's how important the gospel is. And then in verses 27 through 30, he simply says this. If in my life, the advancement of the gospel is more important than my comfort, more important than my life, and more important than my death, verses 27 through 30, he's simply saying this, therefore, you advance the gospel. Because he says to us, I want you to imitate me. And therefore, I want you to, you look at these, these words in verses 27, 28, 29. I want you to stand. I want you to stand together. I want you to stand courageously without fear because it's a sign to the world. When you're fearless, it's a sign to them that God has visited this world and that his favor rests upon those, his children, and his judgment rests upon all the rest. You be fearless. And you accept the sufferings that come with it as a gift from God. Look at verse 29. He says that it is granted to you. Just like faith is granted to you, he says, also your sufferings are granted to you as a gift through which you identify with Jesus Christ in the advancement of the gospel. And so as a gospel preacher, it's my honor and privilege to call upon me and to call upon you to imitate Christ, to imitate the apostles, to advance the gospel. And this very morning, you and I have a way in which we can express that advancement through our lives. Would you do it? Would you hear the call of Christ this morning and offer yourself to him, body and soul? 
Would you take that card and say, Lord, this is just a little card. This is just one moment in my life. But would you help me to give you my whole life right now in this moment through the exercise of answering the challenges on this card? Would you take my life and make me a blessing to you, Lord, and to the world? Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, for this precious letter of Paul that's been preserved for us for 2,000 years so that we can read it. And we understand it's not just the apostle Paul who authored it, but you, Holy Spirit, you divinely inspired it through him that we might read it today and that we might be apostolic in the way that we respond to the gospel's call. Would you take Christ church in town, East Mandarin? Would you take your whole reformed and evangelical church? Would you take your church everywhere of all denominations around the world? Take us up in your hand, O oh Lord, and bless us and use us to reach our neighbors, to reach this city, and to reach the world for your glory. We make our prayer in the name of the greatest missionary of them all, your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.